John chapter number 12, verse 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. And there they made him a supper, and Martha served. In verse 3, and then Mary took a pound of ointment of spikenard and anointed his feet. Our Lord is on the way to Jerusalem, and he stops by Bethany for just a little while to visit some of his uh, loved ones and some of his disciples and some of those folks and friends. Six days before the crucifixion, just preceding the triumphant entry when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a white colt and uh, they proclaimed him to be king. You remember that just six days before Calvary. At the supper, we find some attitudes that we find among our Lord's followers. We'll not spend much time there, but verses 1 through 11, we see the attitude of some of the folks there. The attitude of service in verse 2, Martha is serving. The attitude of worship, verse 3, Mary kneels at our Lord's feet and anoints his feet with oil, precious oil, an attitude of service. Now, I don't know an attitude of worship. Verse 2, Lazarus, the attitude of fellowship. Some of us came today to serve, some came to worship, and some come to just fellowship. And then there's those other folks we find in verses 4 through 6. The attitude of criticism, Judas. Well, I didn't get much out of the sermon. Preacher didn't study very much. He needs to study more. Have you noticed the preacher's getting old? No, but the preacher's noticed. An attitude of criticism. A little girl with her family driving home from church. And Daddy said, you know, that sermon wasn't very good. Mama said, yeah, the choir wasn't very good either. The little girl next to the little boy said, you know, in my Sunday school class wasn't very good. The little boy said, wasn't a bad show for a nickel, was it? <laughs> Regardless of who we are, we've all brought an attitude with us. It may be an attitude of worship, it may be an attitude of service, it may be an attitude of fellowship, and it may be an attitude of criticism. But I want you to know something, Jesus loves you anyhow. I'm glad Jesus loves us, aren't you? And um, the philosophies of living now, and now notice if you would please, we'll skip down to verse number 12. The next day after the supper, the next day after the supper. Much people were coming to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Verse 20. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. 
The same came therefore to Philip, which was a Bethsaida of Galilee, and desiring him, saying, Sirs, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. I want you to get the picture, please. There could be as many as a million, million and a half folks in Jerusalem for the, for the Passover feast. And some Greeks, Grecian, Greeks, geeks, I start to say Greek. <laughs> King James Version geeks had made their way and traveled the long distance there just to worship with the folks at Jerusalem. But fame of a rest about a fame of a miracle worker, a fame of a water walker, the fame of a miracle worker has caught their ear. Working through the crowd there at the Passover, I don't know why they found Philip. I, I, I have no idea. Maybe Philip looked like a Christian. I have no idea. But for some unknown reason, these Greeks, these Gentiles, these heathen, if you please, in reference to the Jew, look out Philip and said, Sir, we traveled a long way to worship God. But it's come to our attention that there's somebody amongst you that is supernatural, somebody that's kind of outstanding. Uh, we would like to see Jesus. Wouldn't that be nice if all of us said that? Now notice. And Jesus answered them saying, now we don't know the question that the Greeks asked Jesus. But we do know the answer Jesus gave them. They said, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. And Jesus said, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, I don't know the question that the Greeks asked. Uh, they could have asked, how in the world did you raise Lazarus from the dead? They could have asked, how in the world did you, were you capable of walking on water? They could have asked him sundry of questions. I have no idea what they asked. But I do know what Jesus answered. My hour is come. I don't know if you remember it or not, but in John chapter number two at the wedding of Canaan, when Jesus had performed his first miracle, his mother told Jesus to do such and such. And Jesus said, no, I'm not going to do that. My hour is not come yet. Another time in John chapter number seven, in reference to Jesus going to Jerusalem to the feast of the tabernacle. The disciples said, what you need to do is go to the Jerusalem because there's going to be a big crowd there and you can perform some miracles and your fame will grow and, and everybody will know who you are. Jesus said, no, I'm not going because my hour 
has not come. That's John 7. In John chapter number 8, they tell Jesus, as he's teaching, what you need to do is thus and thus. And Jesus said, no, my hour is not yet come. All of a sudden, some Greeks come into his presence and he said, now, now it's time. Now my hour is come that the Son should be glorified. What in the world is he talking about? These guys just want to see him. They just, they're spectators, if you please. They've come to the Jesus circus. The railroaders are playing. It's spectating time. And Jesus said, I might have some good news and some bad news. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. It abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. What do you think the expression across those Greeks' face must have looked like when he started talking about dying? Probably about like yours right now. Next verse. He that loveth his life shall lose it. Some people like to enjoy eating so much they're killing themselves eating. Some ladies want to be so thin they're killing themselves by living. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, wait a minute, we just come to see. We didn't come to serve. We just showed up because it's a good thing to do. What's all this about dying and losing and Living and serving. What? What's this all about? Could I have an amen? amen? Two philosophies of life, if you please. The world says you need to learn to live. Jesus said we need to learn to die. The world says we need to learn to save. And Jesus says we need to learn to give. The world says we need more leaders. Jesus says we need more servants. And it's strange. Folk come to church to see and what they see, they don't like. So they go to another church, see if they can find something they like. 
These guys came to Jesus to see. And Jesus said, that's not enough. If you want to really see, you need to die. If you really want to live, you need to learn how to die. I can see by the blank look on some of your faces, you don't understand this. Look at my face. It's blank. I do not understand it. But I know this. If any man serve me, let him follow me and where I am. There shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will the Father honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. What hour? The hour that has arrived. Save me from this hour, the hour of Calvary, the hour of crucifixion, the hour of giving his life, dying that you might have life. Dying that I might have life. Except a grain of wheat fall in the ground and die, it abideth alone. What's he talking about? But for this hour came I, but for this cause came I to this hour. Could I speak to you for just a moment this morning on living to die or dying to live? Losers, weepers, finders, keepers. The Bible said in the book of the Revelation that God himself shall wipe away the tears from their eyes. The best way to learn to weep is to realize what a loser you are without God. I heard a song one time, I can handle this job all by myself. How's it going? Well, I'm in my fifth marriage and looking for another one. Well, that's really living, ain't it? And I looked at the text and I said to myself, I'm sure that the Lord is trying to say something to me. And the Bible says, Verily I say unto thee, except I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. Unless a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth fruit. Could we begin for just a moment with a very basic universal principle? First comes death, then comes life. In our mind, that's all mixed up. In our mind, it sounds backwards. We think of life happening first, then death coming, and something after that. There's many illustrations and many examples of death comes first, then life. 
with plant life, you know you've heard the word. It's a scientific word called germination. You plant a seed in the ground, cover it with dirt, give it a lot of water. First, the seed has to die. Is that not true? That is called germination. And then something very unusual, even miraculous, something begins to shoot forth out of that dead sea, seed that does not even resemble the birthplace of that object. You bury an ugly, dry, dead seed and it germinates and produces new life. Life different than that which you put in the ground. Life that is potential to be abundant, to fruitful. You put one grain of corn in the ground and many times what you put in the ground produces three cobs wrapped with 640 Little corns, that's abundant. You know why Christians are so dry and so miserable looking? They're still in the seed. You're living, man. (laughs) You have it made. You got it with a downhill pull. Think about it. You're doing everything you can to enjoy life. And most folks I know as miserable as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs. Because we're living, man, we're living. Don't you know, death always precedes life. This is also true in the animal world. Out of death of animal number one, animal number two eats and lives. If animal number one had not have died, animal number two would have no life. Death precedes life. The bear hibernates. He hibernates in a death-like state. Everything almost dies until springtime and up he springs to new life. Life. Yes. Maybe the Lord knew what he is talking about. The butterfly, if you please, in the form of a caterpillar, wraps himself, if you please, in the cocoon, in a state, if you please, of death until one blessed day out of this cocoon springs life. You know why Christians are so miserable? They like being caterpillars. Well, I don't like that. I wouldn't either if I was a caterpillar. Somebody
God has said if we have life, we have, if we have the Lord, the Son, we have life and have it what? More abundant. I'm just trying to help you. I'm not ridiculing you. I'm not trying to beat you over the head with anything. God says this about our own physical lives. The Bible says we are born in dead in trespasses and in sins. 78 years ago this month, I was born into sin. My daddy was a sinner. In fact, they kicked him out of the Baptist church in the town we lived. They didn't think he ought to be whooping folks in the hog pen after the square dance at our theater. So they kicked my daddy out of the church. I was born, according to the Bible, dead in trespasses and sins. So were you. And one blessed day in Farmer's Branch, Texas, sitting on my couch, a preacher come into my house and he turned the spiritual light on in my heart. And that which was dead in trespasses and sin received life, abundant. Death precedes life. You see that? It's true in our Lord's life. The text that we're reading, the Greeks that came to see our Lord, our Lord's telling these Greeks, I'm really not here to walk on water. I really didn't come to heal Peter's mother-in-law. I really didn't come to raise Lazarus from the dead. My hour is come, and now the grain of wheat that is speaking to you must be buried and must die to raise again to give you new life. There is a natural application to the text. There is a spiritual Application to the text. Jesus always used objects of nature to teach and to preach. For instance, he used shepherds. He said, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. He used sheep as objects of teaching. He said, my sheep, Hear my voice and they know me and they follow me. He used bread. I'm the bread of life, Jesus said. He used water. I'm the water of life. If you believe in me, I will give you water and out of your belly shall flow rivers of living waters. Jesus used several different objects such as caskets. He said, you are like whited sepulchers trying to teach a lesson. You understand that? So here in the text, we have a natural application. A grain of wheat put in the ground, 
left there, watered, must die, and then it will spring forth to new life. He was saying to those Greeks, not many days, and this grain of wheat is going to die. This grain of wheat will be buried. But I have good news for you. On the third day, this grain of wheat is going to rise again to new life, supernatural life, never-ending life, powerful life, compassionate life, ending life, the kind of life that he needed and on and on and on and on. Jesus used objects of nature to teach a lesson. And in verse number 24, he's told these Greeks that I must die. I must be lifted up. There is a natural application. Then there is a spiritual application. Verse 24. But if it die, it bring forth much fruit. Our Lord, speaking of his death, burial, and resurrection, the Greeks just come to see him, maybe to see some miracles. And then he tells them, I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. And I'm going to raise on the third day. A natural incident carrying with it a tremendous spiritual lesson. You ready? Paul said, and I know you remember, Paul said, I delivered unto you that which also I received myself. He said, I delivered unto you, I declare unto you the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus, which I preached, which you believed, and which you received, and whereby ye are saved. Hmm? The gospel. Buried the wheat, the wheat rises to life. The gospel has to be heard, it must be believed, it must be received. Amen? I said amen. What's the gospel? Well, how that Christ died according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 4. How that Christ died according to the scriptures, and was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. What Jesus was telling these Greeks is the same thing that Paul told the Corinthians. The Bible said, if thou shalt believe in thine heart, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart, listen now, that God raised him from the dead. 
thou shalt be saved. There is no way in the world I can go to heaven not believing that if you put a grain of wheat in the ground, it dies. If it don't die, it abides alone. But if it dies, If it dies, it will bear much fruit. Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. It don't say you are saved. It says if you want to be saved, you Greeks, if you want to be saved, you've got to realize my hour has come. What hour? The hour that I be glorified. The Bible said if he be lifted up. I wonder why he said lifted up. Could it be maybe that crucifixion was a common occurrence around Jerusalem on that day? Could it be that every Jerusalem and every Jew and every Gentile that walked down the Ignatius Highway had seen the crosses with human beings hanging on them and they were very familiar with people being lifted up? And Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. He said, also, if you please, and I know you know this, in verse number 32, look at this of chapter 12, John, and if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. The natural application is wheat, water, soil, resurrection. Spiritual application is the gospel heard received new life. Got it? Got it? Personal application is, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can't get saved for your kids. If you could, I know some that I probably need to go back to the car back to the altar for. But it's a personal issue. You have got to realize that you're dead in trespasses and sin. Well, preacher, I don't understand the Bible. Dead men don't understand anything. The Bible says that People who are dead and pestilence and sins and not saved cannot understand the mind of God. And you will not understand the mind of God until you get God, the Holy Spirit, within your heart. And you have been raised to new life through the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit of God that moves in your heart. The Bible said light makes manifest. We're stumbling around in the darkness of this old world thinking that we're living when actually all we're doing is dying. If you don't believe that, look at some of these old heads around here. 
Somebody said, boy, you did a good job throwing that baseball. I couldn't even see the guy that was catching it. (laughs) Because when you get on the pitcher's mound, the sun coming in that front area, you cannot see the catcher. I told the president, I said, man, I could not even see the guy. How do those pitchers pitch? He said, they don't need to see. Everything they do is out of reaction and muscles. I said, what happened to my reaction and muscles when I was out there? (laughs) We're all mixed up. We're killing ourselves trying to live. We ought to die and really live. Amen. Amen. I said amen. We have a natural application, a spiritual application, a personal application. It's an issue of faith. Andrew and I, we're great farmers and ranchers. Two years ago, Andrew bought some bird seed and had sunflower on it. So we spend four or $500 diesel fuel and gasoline and everything else putting out bird seed because we're going to have sunflowers. Well, I told Andrew it wouldn't work. And I was right, it didn't. Not one thing come up. Not one, not one, not one. We got some weeds for sale. We got smart, didn't we, bud? We went down to the feed store the other day and they had sunflower seeds on sale for $60 a bag. Yes, sir. We care for the dove in our country. We want to feed them. (laughs) Compassionate we are. So we invested in two bags, sunflower seed, several bags of fertilizer. And that's what I'm giving you right now. Again, we manned our John Deere tractor and we plowed and we plowed and we plowed and we plowed. Then we got on our Ford tractor and we flung and we flung and we flung. We flung sunflower seeds everywhere you can imagine. Not one came up. Not nary one. We are great farmers. But Andrew and I put those seeds in the ground in great faith. We knew they would come up. That's the reason we spent the money. We believed it would come up. Every farmer that sows his seed does it in faith. He don't put it out there just saying, this ain't going to work. He puts it in the ground by faith. Believing that it's going to die, believing that the process works, believing it's going to spring to new life, believing that new life is going to produce fruit, abundant faith. This thing about Christianity, it's not about seeing. It's about believing. Without faith, 
It is impossible to please God. They that come to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of them that diligently. There is a personal application. The person must hear. The person must believe. And by faith, the person must receive or there's no new life. Got it? You say, I've been going to church for years. That, that don't work. It's not about church. I could put a grain of wheat in my pocket and take it to church for a thousand years and it'd come and leave the same way. Huh? There's got to be a death to be life. There is a ministerial application. Verse 26, I close. Verse 26. The Bible said, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Boy, I'd like to hear after this life, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Don't have to be well done, thy good and intelligent servant. Does not have to be well done and thou successful servant. But I'd sure like to hear my Lord say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. We like the Greeks probably have come today to see something to hear something. And all of a sudden we hear something about dying, loving, serving, and honoring. Hmm? Dying to self, loving the Lord. Serving him and hearing him say, well done. I bet those Greeks left with their pants on fire. Hmm? Why did you come? Did you come to die to self? Did you come to say, I'm tired of me? instead of I'm tired of everybody else. We need to get our dying right. We need to get our loving right. We need to get our serving right. And God will always have his honoring right.